0: If you uh, have one of these little bulletin folders, you might want to get it out. There's an outline there. We are in First uh, John. This is the fourth time in First John. We have two more to go before we get to Revelation. Uh, this is First John chapter four, verses one through six. And um, this is this is a passage of Scripture um, that you really can't understand very well unless you understand what is going on in the author's life. So uh, let me paint a little bit of a picture about the situation that the author, who is John, is going through. John is probably 80, 90 years old when he writes this. This is the same person who writes the Gospel of John. This is the same person who writes the Revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He writes 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. They're called that. He lives probably, at the time of this writing in Ephesus. Ephesus doesn't exist anymore, but it was a central city in Turkey. He lived there for a particular reason. We're not sure why he went there or when he went there, but we do know something of the history that took place before this. Because in 70 A.D., it's now about 80 A.D., in 70 AD, the city of Jerusalem fell to the Roman Emperor. The empire came in, totally destroyed everything that was in Jerusalem. It happened to take place during Passover. There were thousands and thousands of people crowded into the city of Jerusalem. Multitudes were just killed, maybe a hundred thousand. and some estimate that at least six hundred thousand, became refugees and fled from the city under the Roman persecution. Now, they fled all different places, but many of them ended up in what we would call Turkey with these seven churches. Now, John knows about these seven churches, and John is in one of them, Ephesus, and when he writes the Revelation, he's going to identify all these other churches. But there's a reason why people are there. The Jews that have come to know Jesus as their Messiah fled. They became refugees. Now it's about 600 miles from Jerusalem up into this area of Turkey. You can take a shortcut if you could afford to get a boat and travel across the sea. If you had to walk, imagine this. It'd be like walking from here to Salt Lake City. So suddenly you are destitute. Suddenly you have nothing except a new faith in this person called Jesus. And you are out on your own with your family, and you've got to cross into a land whose language you do not speak. And you got to go to a place where you are an outsider and nobody wants you there anyway. That's the situation that many new Christians found themselves in, in these seven churches and others throughout Asia Minor. Now imagine what it was like to be a Christian in one of these places. There's no church building. Nobody's building any church buildings in these days. There's no pastor. There's nobody who has gone somewhere and gotten a theological education unless they were just Jews and had a Jewish education. There were no staff people to any kind of church. It were just a group of people, maybe two or three families who got together in some house that hopefully they were able to rent and they kind of kept to themselves and they kind of continued to go through this worship. There, there's no music. There's no song leader. Nobody even knows much about Christianity. Nobody has written anything. Maybe a letter came from the Apostle Paul. Maybe they read one little letter. They don't have any Bibles, lot like we would have. They're left on their own. Sometime, maybe a visiting guy comes through and spends a day or two with them and tells them some things that maybe they didn't know before. But you can just imagine they're persecuted, they're they're destitute, they're in tremendous need, they're in a foreign, strange land, and they have a million questions. What is this? What is that? What does this mean? What am I supposed to do about this? What about this? What about that? And it's into that kind of a context that this author, John, writes this letter. You got that picture? Now he wrote this letter to them as we have seen in the first couple of chapters of this little letter because he experienced something with Jesus Christ as one of the disciples. And what he experienced with Christ was an intimate relationship with God that he had never had before through Judaism. He had never heard of this before. He saw Jesus and the Father have this relationship. He entered into this relationship and he writes to all the churches and he says, listen, I want all of you to have this relationship with God. This is a personal, intimate, day by day, moment by moment experience with God in your life. This gives you joy overflowing. That was in chapter 1 in the beginning. He said, now, the reason, the way you do this is to find the light. Just walk in the light. Understand God is the light and put yourself in His presence moment by moment as you walk through every day. It's not that complicated. It's a simple way of understanding what it means to walk with God. And he said in chapter 2, he said, listen, don't worry if you mess up a little bit. If you, if you fail to do this, if you fail to let God have first place in your life moment by moment, it's going to happen and don't worry about it. Just agree with God about it. Get back on track. And then he goes on to say, listen, there, there are some distractions out there. They're going to keep you from doing this. They're going to keep you from walking in the light of God. They're going to keep you. They're going to distract you. And he said those distractions, first of all, are the world. It's the things that you see and you want with your eyes. They distract you from this. It's the things that you want to experience with your flesh. They distract you from this. There is this pride of life that you feel you're so important and so great, it distracts you from this. And then he added there are also voices out there. There are voices, and he called them voices of antichrists. Now, when we get to the book of Revelation, he's going to talk about the Antichrist. This is not that. These are voices out there that distract the follower of Jesus Christ with his intimacy with God the Father. The voices that he calls are Antichrist. Now, I need to tell you that what John is going to write probably doesn't apply to us directly in Spokane in 2015. Are you okay with that? But we're going to make sure we at least apply it to us because just like there were voices in John's day to these churches and they weren't sure what to do with them, there are voices out there today. Now, if you don't think there are any voices out there, just check Wikipedia or go online. There's all kinds of voices, with all kinds of ideas, and all kinds of suggestions. And many of them become distractions. Now the one voice that was there in John's day, that was disturbing the church, was something called Gnosticism. Now, we don't have this voice of Gnosticism. It's around, but it's not really very popular today. So without going into a great discussion, the Gnostics basically said, look, this thing with God is a mystical thing. Anything that's flesh is evil. And so Jesus didn't really come in the flesh. Jesus was just an emanation from God, kind of like an angel, kind of like a spirit, kind of like a mystical thing. So we follow this mystical Jesus, but he was not here on earth in physical form. This is not a Jesus who was God and man. And John writes to them to correct this view, because they don't know how to deal with this. It's a voice that is around them, and they are wanting to know what to do with it. Now, you got the background? Okay, so now we're ready. This is what we want to do. We want to test for these voices. Chapter 4, verse 1. This is what John writes. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, if I can change the meaning of that word spirit to something else, it's going to make more sense to you. It's a word that means wind. There are many winds, like many voices. There are lots of winds that blow out there. And he says, don't believe every wind that blows your way. That makes sense to us, doesn't it? He's talking about Gnosticism, but it applies to all of us. Now, he said what you need to do is to test those winds, test those voices. How do we recognize the voices that are out there? How do we test for them? Now this word that gets translated test isn't translated test in every version of the Bible. I think the authorized version translates it try like a trial that we'll look at in a moment. The word itself literally means this, a critical examination to determine genuineness. You like that? The long definition. So, When you hear a voice, test it, whatever that means. Now, we like instant tests. We like the kind of tests that you get, like a litmus test. Hey, I'm pregnant, I'm not pregnant. Boom, there, now it's done. I got the test. So I did a little research uh, the last few weeks, and I, I thought it might be interesting for you to know how to test for a diamond. I uh, Probably don't have any diamonds laying around the house, but if you do, here are some tests to find out if a diamond is genuine. Take the diamond and blow on it. If it fogs up, it's not a real diamond. Test number one. Test number two. Take the diamond and drop it in a glass of water. If it sinks, that's a real diamond. Test number three. Put a dot, a black dot on a piece of paper. Put the diamond over top of it. And if you can see the dot, that's not a real diamond. Take out a cigarette lighter and light up the diamond and heat it up pretty good and hot and drop it into a glass of ice-cold water. And if it cracks, it's not a real diamond. Now, this is great stuff. I like, don't you appreciate that? I mean, these are nice little tests. This could help. If we just had, John, give us a little test like this, would you please? Now, this would be really great, except I, C.J. Pounder of Pounder Jewelries happens to be uh, part of our family by marriage. And so I was with C.J. Pounder, oh, I don't know, several weeks ago at a combination birthday party for his grandkid, my great-grandkid. And I said to C.J., I said, hey, I just learned how to test for a diamond. And the whole thing came up because he had a little glass and he was looking at some gem that somebody had at the party. And he said, oh, yeah, how do you test for a diamond? So I, I give him these four things. And you know what he said to me? Oh, yeah, that's not quite right. I said, what do you mean that's not quite right? I read that one online. He said, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah." But he says, it's way more complicated than that. I said, what do you mean it's way more complicated than that? He said, well, he said, you know, today there's so many fake diamonds that most of those tests don't work anymore. And I thought, you know, maybe that's good to know. There's no quick test for this. John says, if a voice comes and you hear it, And you're not sure what to do with this. Is this going to distract you from following God? Well, test for it. How do I test? Now, this word is more like going to trial. You know how we have a trial. We have somebody that's a prosecuting attorney. We have somebody that's a defense attorney. We have people who are in the jury. We have a judge who's there to make sure everything goes right. And we present the case and somebody argues the case. Finally, after a long period of time, somebody comes to a decision. This is what we decide. John said we need to decide, carefully examine, so we can decide these voices. Let me tell you what is not indicated in this test. What is not indicated is a preconceived idea, a preconceived idea that based on somebody's cultural background, based on somebody's intellectual background or their educational background or their financial background, you can come to some conclusion. There are no such tests like that. Now, how do you test for these things? Now, I did a little research for you. I don't want to spend a lot of time in this, but I did a little research for you. They're in the bulletin. There are actually tests in the scriptures That tell you how to test for certain things. I thought I'd give you a few of them. And they all have some things in common. Here's the first one. If you have a wife who is unfaithful. Then what you do is go to the Levitical priest. And you tell the priest. I suspect my wife has been unfaithful. And the Levitical priest would scoop up some of the dirt from the worship place. Put it into a glass of water. Quick quick view. And then have the wife drink the water. If the wife got sick. She was guilty. If she didn't get sick, she was not guilty. Interesting test, isn't it? But I want you to notice what's involved here. No accusation. It takes a little time to determine this. Takes some observation to determine this. Even probably took some dialogue to determine this. Then there is the test, and you can read about that, by the way, in Numbers chapter 5, verse 27. Then there is the test of a prophet. Prophet. There were lots of people who said lots of things in the Old Testament days and some of them said they were prophets and so they prophesied this is going to come to pass. Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 22 says this is how you test the prophet. If it comes true, that's a prophet. If it doesn't come true, that's not a prophet. Once again, takes a little observation, takes a little time, takes a little judgment call, not an accusation. Then there are some tests that Jesus gave. Jesus saw a fig tree one day in Matthew chapter 12, verse 33. And he said, you know, you can always tell the fig tree by the fruit that it produces. And he applied it to people. If there's no fruit of righteousness in a person's life, well, that's kind of a test that they may not be righteous. No accusations, but observation and some time. And then Jesus said there's also the test of love. In John 13, Jesus said, people will know who you are if you love one another. So there's a test to see. Once again, it takes time, takes observation, kind of takes a gentleness and even some dialogue. Now here is the nature of John's test. Now this is not going to work for anything in Spokane in 2015. He is testing for Gnosticism. This is what he says in verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the Spirit of the Antichrist which you have heard was coming and was in the world already. Now if we don't do the testing with time and with observation and with some interaction, then we get to a problem of what I call accusing people. And uh, we're pretty good at accusing people, at finger-pointing, at I heard this, at somebody told me this. And people become guilty before there is any test. Of the voice, I thought we'd play a little game here this morning since we didn't play any games early on here. So here's here's a game. Here are two people that just walked into church. Okay, so there's that one guy, and uh, here's this uh, gal. What do you know about these people? They got a lot of hair. They got a lot of hair. Okay, I'll go along with that. Do you know anything about these people? Absolutely nothing, do you? But you can make up some good things. Now that one on the left is a Muslim. He's a problem. (laughs) You don't want him around. Do you know that? No, I don't know that. Did you test for No, no, no. And then there's the one on the right. She's a gypsy. Loose woman don't want her around do you know that no 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 I don't know no now if you don't think we do this I, I got to tell you this story somebody told me last week by the way that the pastor who teaches should never expose himself to the congregation and mistakes that he makes but you know I never have been of that ilk so I don't mind telling you all the mistakes I've made when we were living in Budapest most of you know we lived there for almost five years and We were there at a time when many refugees, like today, were crossing the lines and coming into Western Europe. In an effort to get to Western Europe, they were coming into Hungary. That was first step to get to Germany or England or France. And so there were constantly people like that, Coming across the border, and we lived on a, we didn't live, the church was on a tram, and so some of these people from the Red Cross Center where they were housed as refugees would end up in our church. And I'd be there up there teaching, and I'd look down there, and I'd, I'd see one like that. And then I'd see another one like that. And, you know, the leadership of the church, we started to get a little concerned about this because they started saying, you know, there's some bad people coming. So we decided what we ought to do is we ought to post two people at the door of the church, like out there, and maybe check the people as they come in. How in the world do you check people who come in? And so for like two weeks, you know, we had two guys out there, checking the people who came to the door of the church that we didn't know. And pretty soon, we all said, what in the world are we doing? We don't know anything about these people. We can't tell anything about these people from when we see them walk in the door. That was not a very effective test. So what would a test today look like for us if we were to check out the voices that we hear? Are you with me with this now? All right. Now here is group A, because group A in church A, B, C, D, all the way through Z, there's group A people who have this view. Never. Cast any judgment on any people for any reason. It is kumbaya all the way. (laughs) That's a view. I'm not sure that's a wise view in light of what John said that, you know, there are times when we need to test the wind that blows. But Group A exists out there. If you're part of Group A, great. Bless you. Then there's the rest of us that are left. How do we test the voices that we hear? How do we test what we hear and what we see? Okay, here's the first way we do this with what I call the orthodoxy test. Okay? What we do with the orthodoxy test is when we hear a voice and it says something, we look it up in the Bible and see if we can find that in the Bible first. You got yep, yep, There's the verse right there. No good. That's okay. Or better yet, call the pastor. When James gets back, if you have a problem with any of this, just call him on the phone and say, James, this person came to me and told me this. I don't know what to do about this. Is this going to distract me from my walk with the Lord? Or what do I do about this, James? And James will apply the orthodoxy test. He will apply, this is the way we do it. Lots of luck with that. But it's a, you know, it's an attempt. I never like getting calls to have to do the orthodoxy test. Let me tell you what it all boils down to, and we don't have time to really develop this today. It all boils down to what is in your box. You all have a box, and it contains all your beliefs and all your behaviors. They're all in your box. You loaded them all in there. We started loading stuff in our box when we were a little kid. We put stuff in our box, stuff our parents told us, stuff our teachers told us. It's in our box. I mean, I got to tell you this my mother, my dad smoked cigars his whole life. My mother would never let him smoke cigars in the house. So he had to go outside and smoke cigars. As a little kid growing up, I thought it was kind of strange. How come my dad can't smoke a cigar in the house? Nope, can't smoke a cigar in the house. And then she told me one day, she said, Do not smoke any cigarettes. Oh, okay, I don't know. What am I now? I'm four years old. I don't know. I'm not smoking any cigarettes. Okay, but the day came when somebody offered me a cigarette and, oh no, no, in my box, do not smoke cigarettes. Nope, no, thank you. It works this way. We all work that way. Now, we change things in our box. From time to time, we re-examine and we say, you know what? I need to take that out of my box and need to put this in my box. To give you a good illustration, I used to be over 300 pounds and one of the ways I learned to lose weight was to drink diet soda. Nothing else, just diet soda. And for at least six months, I went on a diet, soda, diet. That's all I had, diet, soda. Man, the weight just melted right off. And then... Somebody said, you know, are you crazy? That's not good for you. Uh Uh-oh, box problem. Somebody told me if it wasn't sugar, it was good. No, 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 no. New issue. Change the stuff in the box. I did a little research, tested it out, found out, uh uh-oh, diet soda may not be as good for me as I thought. No more diet soda. I haven't had a diet soda since. We change what is in our box and it goes on and it goes on and it goes on. Now, listen, it goes on in the church too. And I don't mean the church, the building, it goes on in the people of the church. Now, some of you are much younger than I, you don't remember these things, but I do. I remember when the guitar appeared in the church. Oh. We cannot have guitars in church. Why? It's in the box. No guitars in church. Did you ever experience this, Tim? <laughs> and he's young. <laughs> Far worse than that. Somebody brought a drum. <gasps> oh my word, no drums in the church. No, 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 no. But see, most of us we changed the box. We worked it over, we looked at it, we checked it out, we spent a little time, we talked about people with their intent, what was their purpose, and we were willing to change the box. John says we need to test the voices. We need to listen to what the voices say. We need to examine them carefully. And maybe we should add, and deal with them in love. And he's going to cover that when we get to the next part of this first John letter. Now in the middle of all this, John writes to this church, and this is really important, when you test, test with this great confidence. Know who we are in Christ Jesus. First John 4.4 Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Say, I can't possibly believe that. Well, believe it. The voices out there are no competition to the one who resides in us in Jesus Christ. That'd say, you, you know. My whole life, I grew up, my parents thought I should get educated. I thought education was really important. I got educated. Then I went on did graduate school. I thought, really great, I got graduate school. And then I realized there was more after graduate school you could get a Ph.D. I wasn't attuned to that, and I never bothered. And then I got out in churches, and I started meeting people with Ph.D.s. I got to tell you, they intimidated me. I I mean, I was like, oh my word, they got a PhD. I ended up in New Mexico in a church and everyone on the church board had either a medical degree or a PhD. And there I was like this. I didn't really believe this. Much greater is what's in them than what's in me. And I remember going to Budapest. I still have any, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm in my 50s. I still have this feeling about people, highly educated people. I get to Budapest, pastor this international church, and I got two seminary professors with PhDs from the same seminary I went to. <laughs> They're in the congregation. And one day I went to them and I said, I had you guys intimidate me. And they straightened me out with this verse. Greater is he that is in you than he who has a voice in the world. I thank them for that. Understand this. The Antichrist voices. And don't make too much of the Antichrist. They're the voices out there. They're the voices that come from the world. They're limited. They are from the world. Chapter 4, verse 5. They speak from the world. And the world listens to them. Look at We live in a culture, in a world that's nuts. And that crazy culture is listening to all kinds of voices today. We just went through a lady who's white who said she's black. That's okay. But that's a voice out there. And the world listened. We just went through, in the last couple of weeks, a guy who was a male hero in sports, who's now a female. That's okay. There are lots of voices out there. So what are you going to do when they knock on the door of the church? What are you going to do when they come to the church and say, hey, you know, I think a person should have multiple partners in their marriage. Well, I know what's in the box. Yeah, I know what's in the box too, but... are we going to be able to test the voices that we hear? And how will we do it? Because it appears that we do it with love, by listening, by asking, by interacting, by involving, and then it becomes clear. Is this a distraction to my walk with God? Or is this something of God? Let me close it with this. 1 John chapter 4, verse 6. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. I think that says, when you hear these messages that come out of the world, ask. If it's a message that honors man, it's probably not one that you want to hear. If it's a message that honors Jesus Christ, it may be something worth considering. i got to be honest with you. I really believe that the Church of Jesus Christ, in America especially, is about to go through it. You're going to get it, and I'm going to get it. The good news is, I'm old and I'm not going to get it for as long as you're going to get it. <laughs> I think the church is going to be tested. I look at brothers and sisters that are going through intense persecution now in Africa, in some of the European countries, and certainly in the Middle East. It's tough out there. It's coming here. I look at Christians who have literally lost everything and are fleeing and are running, just like the refugees in John's day. And I don't know what lies ahead. But I know that I'm called to fellowship with God and walk in the light. And what a joy that gives to each of us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this little letter of 1 John. Thank you for what this meant to the people who read it originally and initially. Thank you, Father, for transformed lives that you give to us. Help us not to hear the world in which we live. Help us to weigh everything against who you are, against what you teach us, not just through your word, but through that divine spirit that indwells us and leads us. Thank you for the privilege to walk in the light of a living God. In his name we pray, amen.